Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Rubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. My co-host, Stephen Gillespie, is not with me tonight. However, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, especially over the last few months, we have been churning out incredible guest appearances on the Draft Deeper Podcast feed. And tonight is no different. We are continuing and moving forward with our lottery team coverage. We did a podcast with Motor City Hoops, a.k.a. Coach Bryce Simon, for the Detroit Pistons last week. This week, we are focusing on one of my favorite young teams in the NBA, arguably my favorite young team in the NBA, not the, not to cause Bryce Simon to, to shed some tears over there in Detroit Pistons fandom, but I loved everything the Houston Rockets did in the draft last year, and I think there's so much promise with a lot of the young pieces on this team. That's why I'm incredibly thrilled and honored to be joined by Dave Hardesty himself at Clutch Fans on Twitter. Over 70,000 Twitter followers, man. This guy, we are going to have one hell of a show tonight. Dave, how you doing? <laughs> Good, Nathan. It's a pleasure to be here. And how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. So if you don't check, if you haven't checked out any of Dave's work yet, again, you can follow him on Twitter at ClutchFans and also check out ClutchFans.net. He has been doing Houston Rockets coverage, I believe, since since 1996. Is that correct, Dave? Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. That's correct. You, you have been covering the Houston Rockets with that website almost as long as I've been alive. So that, <laughs> that, that, that should tell the audience something that you are well deep in the weeds at this point. You've done incredible work for a lot of years, and you have embraced not just myself and Draft Deeper, but Dave, but you've also really helped to embrace No Ceilings um, and, and help us keep growing and, and get the exposure as well. So I need need to thank you off the top, first and foremost, for, for all of that support. You were a great friend having Stephen Gillespie on um, in a Twitter spaces, helping you guys do a little mock draft exercise. So seriously, thank you for, for the love you've shown those ceilings so far. Oh, of course. I mean, honestly, it's, it's uh, not anything like calculated. It's just easy to do because you guys are doing <laughs> honestly great work. And Stephen came into that space with us and was just awesome. I mean, he just provided great insight. Uh, and I think he kept some of the bias, uh, you know, from some of the fans in check, which was perfect because we needed somebody <laughs> to kind of say, hey, no, this guy's actually pretty good. So it was uh, we loved having it. And uh, you guys do amazing work over in No Ceilings. And as we as you and I were, were talking about a little bit, there's really two fan bases that I've connected with incredibly well um, over the last few months that we've been doing coverage for the 2022 draft Thunder fandom. Thunder fans have absolutely embraced what we're doing on social media and Rockets fans. I've interacted with some excellent people on Rockets Twitter, Dave. So I, I, I think I added feel to that fire a little bit today with what I published on NoSillingsNBA.com. If you have not checked out, I put out my 2022 final NBA rookie ladder over on NoSillingsNBA.com this morning. We're recording this podcast on Monday, May 9th. If you haven't read that, please do, especially if you are a Rockets fan, because I gave love to two rookies that we're going to be talking about on this podcast today, Jalen Green and Alper and Shengun. But before we get into specifics about some of the players, Dave, you watched all season long. What are some of your general takeaways and thoughts about the overall experience that was the Houston Rockets in the 2021-22 NBA season? 
Yeah, uh, great question. So, uh, you know, the Rockets are in a full and complete rebuild. I mean, I think most people are aware of that watching <laughs> the team, but it's, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for foundation pieces. And this was, it was a fun season, but I think for early on, it was a little bit frustrating. Uh, we didn't get to see some of the young guys as much as we wanted. There were some yeah. vets playing. Um, and I think fans were understandably frustrated because they come out of the gate one in 16 and, and, you know, just the, the, the Rockets have been kind of this collection of pieces and they don't seem to have a system. They don't seem to have um, this great cohesion, but big picture stepping back. Um, there were a lot of positive things that happened. And, and first and foremost, it was Jalen green. I think that's what uh, fans just loved about this season because you know, for the first third of the year, it was touch and go there. We were a little bit nervous <laughs> because, you know, Kay was playing fairly well. And of course, Mobley was fantastic out of the gate and Scotty Barnes and, you know, Rockets picking second take green. And it looks like, man, maybe they might have missed on this pick. And, you know, he really came on strong. And I think what has impressed Houston the most about him is his work ethic. He's just yep. he got better. You know, he knew recognized some flaws, recognized some issues, and he just got better as he went. And we're very excited about the future with him. I think that's the one foundation piece right now that the Rockets feel they've got they've got one. They're in the game. And now let's see if they can add two and three and, and move forward. And he's, he is the best place to start when, when we talk about the Houston Rockets. He was the number two overall pick last year. The franchise's quote-unquote crown jewel, and for good reason, um, 6'5", incredibly athletic bouncy guard who had a very similar season with the G League Ignite. When you talk about it, he got off to a rough start with the Ignite program as well, and then eventually by the end, he was putting up scoring performances that you would expect from him on much better percentages from the field essentially being capped off by in the one playoff game they got to be a part of in the bubble a 30 point game in, in 30 point performance in that game and that really set the tone for why haven't we paid more attention to Jalen Green throughout this process we saw what Kate Cunningham did at Oklahoma State we knew Evan Mobley was going to be special with how he helped USC go on a little bit of a tournament run Scotty Barnes picked up a lot of steam playing at Florida State despite coming off the bench. You saw as soon as he got in the game and even going back and watching some of his Montverde film, along with Cade, you saw the type of player that Scotty Barnes could one day become. But I think people going back and watching the Ignite film, second half of the year, and I think the same thing really happened with Jonathan Kaminga as well. You saw the development, and it's a development curve, I think, when you go back and watch the second half of the year film, as far as the exhibition games from January all the way through the March with this year's Ignite team, I think a lot of people have come around and are moving some of those guys up their boards as well. When we talk about Jane Hardy and Dyson Daniels and possibly some of the names that, that we might get to a little bit later in this podcast when we talk about some Houston Rockets draft targets. But I saw a lot of the same thing happen with Jalen Green. And listen, it was never going to be a perfect start. For, for Jalen Green, just the type of player, the type of scorer that he is at this point in the NBA. He's a two level guy, not a three level guy, but that's fine. I think he's shown enough. And maybe you can touch on this in a little bit, Dave. I think he's shown enough in my eyes that he's going to get to developing more in that third level, which would be the mid range for him and getting better there. But his pull-up shooting, his ability to hit threes from the parking lot, his explosive finishes around the basket, an electrifying athlete. I mean, this guy, and, and this is really a stretch that I wrote about in my piece today. I had him as the fourth-ranked rookie on my final rookie ladder, and that might have surprised some people about two months ago when they'd be throwing up names like Franz Wagner in that spot and Josh Giddy. 
Um, and even Herbert Jones, you can make an argument, should have been ranked a spot ahead of Jalen Green where I have him. But over Jalen Green's last 22 games, he averaged 22.6 points per game, shooting 48% from the field, 34, 34%, so about league average from three, on nearly eight attempts per game. Dave, those are wild numbers, and part of what I wanted to write about in that column was that I think if he would have averaged those statistics over the course of a full season, not just in the last third of the year, I think he would have been the rookie of the year in the NBA. Like I truly, truly believe that. Were you as impressed by that last stretch of games for, for green as well? Yeah, I really was. Matter of fact, I even thought the three point percentage was higher in those final 20 or so games. He, you know, he, he was fantastic. And you're right. I think when it came to rookie of the year, it's kind of hard to fight that narrative out of the gate. And because early on, he, they could, he could not win a game. I mean, and then they went, yeah. he went out, you know, with the injury rockets won seven in a row really had nothing to do with him being out, but he did have a lot to learn defensively um, just, you know, getting adjusting to the game and the rockets were, were losing with him there. So I could understand how he kind of got brushed aside, but you, you nailed it. The way he played the fine, you know, basically, just before the all-star break and especially right after the all-star break, he was um, brilliant. And I think fans here were loving it. I think what's really impressed us is he can get, you know, from, as you mentioned, mid range three point shot, he can get that shot off yep. anytime he wants. His quickness is next level. It's elite. His athleticism is elite. Um, if his shot continues to fine tune and be very efficient, um, he he's going to be one of the better players in the game. He's that, good at getting his own shot. I think he needs to improve a little bit of finishing around the rim. He's made some progress defensively. He's got that desire to be a, a good defensive player. Um, so yeah, we're very excited. And Houstonians, I think are, are looking forward to the future. He just turned 20. So I think that they feel, Hey, we, you know, it's not a sure thing, but we, it looks like they might have a, a foundational type superstar. Now, can they get a second one? Uh, you know, if not in this draft, you know, in the next year or so. And that's, uh, that's the hope moving forward. And just to add a little more fuel to the, the Jalen green fire. I, I don't love looking at synergy percentiles and more advanced statistics with rookies. Cause generally the numbers just aren't very good because they're rookies. And that's, that's kind of to be expected, right? I, I expect someone to, to struggle when coming up to this level initially out of the gate, but when a rookie does rate out well in certain categories, essentially in the, the 65th to 70th percentile or above in certain categories, I want to make sure I call those out and highlight those because that is not easy for a rookie to do in any stretch of the imagination. And when you look at Jalen Green's scoring specifically, he rated out in the 82nd percentile on spot up shots, 80th percentile um, shooting in isolation, 65th percentile coming off handoffs. And he rated out well on jumpers as well, rating out 64th percentile on all jump shots, 61st on catch and shoot shots. And coming back to your point about his shot creation, Dave, 76th percentile in terms of all jump shots off the dribble in the half court. So that's that's the kind of blueprint you want for a number one option on an NBA team. We're talking about some of the most important play types that a scorer can be involved in from all three levels. And I think, as you mentioned, once he gets better finishing around the basket, he only rated out in the 28th percentile on those shots. Once that improves and he gets involved more in the mid range stuff, as well as being a little bit better and more efficient, I should say out of pick and roll at the top, 
he's going to be such a dangerous score and somebody who's incredibly hard to stop. He, he really did impress me with his development in multiple areas on the offensive end. You can choose something on offense, Dave, you can choose something on defense as well, but like going into year two, right? Obviously I I don't expect him to make like an enormous superstar leap in just his third, just his second year in the league. Usually we would see him take more of an enormous leap in like year three or year four, but just going into the next season, Dave, what's like, one thing you think that he can definitely get better at heading into year two and show enough of a significant improvement in that can really help boost his stock for the future? Oh, good question as well. You know, because I think uh, one is finishing around the basket. He, especially early on, you, you could watch him, he could get to the basket, but I think finishing over bigs sometimes was an issue. Uh, he kind of lost the ball sometimes on dunks. Um, that that's one thing I think he needs to work on defensively is, is another issue to just keep improving because I think early on it was a disaster, but it got better as it, as it went, uh, you know, overall, it's just his efficiency. I think, you know, we, we would love to see him, um, be like a, a secondary playmaker and he showed some flashes in that, in that later on, but he's not so much like a, you know, a distributor. He he'll, yeah. he can get it done. He's, I think he's had some games of six, seven assists. But, you know, the Rockets still have that that question. So I think just him being more comfortable in, you know, isolation, sizing up his man and not just getting his own shot, but creating one for others. I think I'd just like to see him improve in that a little bit. I'm not expecting him, like I said, to be the primary. But I think those are the things, mainly just his, his three-point efficiency. I think if he comes out of the gate shooting 35 40% next year from three-point range, then, you know, he's going to get a lot of attention as, you know, kind of making that Anthony Edwards type of leap. Speaking of passing the ball, that's a great segue to the other quote unquote star rookie that the Houston Rockets had this season, who would be Alper and Shengun, one of my favorite prospects in last year's draft. Dave, I would have argued for the Oklahoma City Thunder to take him as high as six. So the wow. fact that the fact that you guys got him, were able to make a trade and then get him where you did, to me, that was an excellent move by the Houston Rockets front office. And I know that initially the move was questioned a tad because of other bigs that you guys had on the roster, not to mention you end up getting Garuba a little bit later on in the draft, who we, we, we'll touch on him a little bit later. But Shengun to me was a very special big man prospect and he was he was a divisive one and I kind of came back to you either saw a lot of it with Shen Goon when you watched the film or you didn't and I understand some of it you had to get a little more creative some of his shooting percentages for example weren't the greatest particularly from three-point range but if you watched clips of him actually working on the shot some of his pregame routine I was sold I thought the mechanics were there and he was only going to continue to improve on that shot as he got more reps at the next level and finished the year shooting just under 25%, which in his rookie season, when he does so much, so much more, so many more things inside the arc, I think that was a fine percentage for him to be at, had a 16 PER in the year. So his player efficiency rating was above league average. Again, something else that's very hard for rookies to do in under 21 minutes per game, only started 13 games out of the 72 that he played in for the Houston Rockets. But Dave, I mean, you, you watch the film offensively, obviously all of the flashes are there, right? The, the ridiculous 
highlight level passes, the footwork around the basket, the touch that he has on certain shots and runners, and then his ability to stretch the floor at times, operate as a role man, operate in handoffs, two-man game. There's so much, in my opinion, that this guy can do offensively, really, truthfully, at least in that area of the game. The sky's the limit for him, and it's because of those offensive flashes why I ranked him um, number eight on my final rookie ladder. And some people questioned why did why did I have him in the top ten when the defense and, and I I want your opinion on the defense specifically sure. when people wanted to point out that it was so bad and and I wrote about the fouls I wrote about how that to me was his biggest problem. But Dave. From someone who watched far more Rockets basketball than I got to this past season, was the defense really that bad? Or do you think there are some ways where he's going to be able to make improvements and, and get to at least like an average level in his NBA career? You know, I think that's that's the hope that he can get to an average level. I, early on, I think I know the Rockets were impressed with his defense. Yeah. They were like, wow, this is this is better than we expected. And and he uh, I mean, there's like a love affair in Houston with Alperin Shingoon because, you know, he, his feel for the game, his vision is is next level. It's just <clears throat> fantastic. And, you know, I, I hate to invoke Nikola Jokic because he's not Jokic and he's not you know that big. I or, use the name in my column, though, man. Like it's <laughs> true. Like, a lot. There's so many similarities offensively between the two. There, there are. There really are. I mean, like his his passing vision, just the things that he sees like. You're like, man, I, you know, you wouldn't even think NBA players would try a pass like that. And he consistently does. So he's got that um, going for him for sure. He's very offensively gifted defensively out of the gate. Like I said, that he was, you know, even protecting the rim at a decent rate. And, um, you know, he was busting it much better than I thought uh, defensively. I think it tailed off. I know it did because, you know, the Rockets were like, okay, you know, kind of maybe lost focus or, or teams adjusted a little bit. Their hope is that he'll improve defensively. He's a very unique player, a very in, a challenging player to build around as a center because right now the, the, a lot of Rocket fans are wondering if this is going to be the primary facilitator. If you're going to run an offense through yeah. Shangun, you know, out of the high post or, um, you know, just in general. And so, um, you know, that's that's a interesting thing you have to build around when you're getting killed in the paint in, in a lot of other ways, you, you know, maybe it's a chat or something. You're looking for a, a, a balance to a guy, a, a unique center like Shangun. Um, but yes, overall, uh, we were just blown away that, that uh, he was this good. And I think there's, there's definitely hope for him. We're kind of, as far as I'm concerned, I still have just one cornerstone right now for the Rockets, but there's, <laughs> you know, as far as Jalen Green and they, and I think when you, when you say you have you have two cornerstones, it just becomes a more challenging thing to build around. But um, he's getting close. I mean, he's if he makes a, a leap even next year, I think then you say to yourself, okay, now there's there's two guys for sure. Isn't he the kind of two man game partner you want operating with Jalen Green though? Especially the fact that, as you mentioned, if you do get the chance to run more offense through him, then that's that's essentially less that that, that those there are less decisions that Jalen Green has to make when he has the ball in his hands, right? He can focus much more on getting involved in more handoff actions, operating with Shingun, playing out of the short roll, and then kind of redirecting passes from that. If, if the more offense you get to run through Shingun, the less responsibility Jalen Green has to have on his shoulder to make everybody else around him better. He can kind of go out there and just be him, right? The natural score. Is that the kind of partner you want with Jalen Green? You would think so. You would think so. And I think, 
you know, it's funny, uh, you know, there's been some complaints about uh, Rockets coach Steven Silas, and I don't mean complaints in, you know, about him specifically, but that the Rockets kind of look discombobulated and, you know, we don't know what offense they're running. And he, he's, you know, sort of promising, hey, we had a bunch of rookies, a bunch of young guys. We're going to see more advanced stuff next year. So let's see what identity they do run. But it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating because, you know, we as Rocket fans watched, you know, for eight years, plus James Harden and, you know, three point shooters, high energy defensive guys spread the floor. And, you know, now they've got a guy who's very effective around the post. Um, you know, not a rim protector necessarily, and is a great facilitator. It's a completely different way of, of building a team. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. But yes, you're correct. Uh, he he could work uh, theoretically extremely well with with Jalen Green. Not not to pull some of the focus away from from the young guys in the draft. I know that's the real reason why we're doing this podcast, Dave. But you you did bring up Coach Stephen Silas and. When people talk about him negatively on social media or, or when they did, because I know for a fact that they did, I saw some of the tweets um, yeah. that come across my timeline. I thought a lot of the negative criticism was completely unfair with regarding coach Silas. I thought that he actually did a tremendous job with that team. Maybe there are some things that obviously he has to improve on from a head coaching standpoint, as far as X's and O's. But in my opinion, just in terms of being a leader and keeping a young locker room together to get to the point where they were able to have some promising success at the end of the year to build off of heading into next year. Like, especially with the kind of young locker room he was working with, he could have lost those guys really quickly to the point where they wouldn't have been able to have those, those bright spots towards the end of the year. Cause everybody kind of would have already been out on the season. They wouldn't have wanted to, to keep working and keep grinding. And maybe some of that does come back to the fact that they have someone like Jalen green being a young leader in the locker room as a guy who has such an incredible work ethic as a 19 year old coming in the NBA. Maybe some of that comes back to that, but I think a lot of it just also comes back to the fact that Steven Silas seems like he's, he's a very even keeled, even tempered guy who has patience to work with a young roster like that and the fact that he helped everybody just keep their heads on in my opinion I think that should be praised more so than anything you could have come at him with as far as the X's and O's that happened on the court what's what's kind of your evaluation on the job that coach Silas did you know there's a lot of positives I mean he's he's a guy I mean he's just an incredible human being just a really positive upbeat guy he treats his players like family he um you know, he takes every loss to heart. Um, he's just a really good person and, and he's, you know, capable of so much more. He, he really a tough situation he was putting because he came here with, yeah. you know, Westbrook and Harden and, and, uh, you know, Tucker and all, basically a team that was ready to win now. And it fell apart within weeks. So, <laughs> you know, it was just, it's really a tough situation. I think, um, you know, certainly with as many losses the Rockets had the last two years, people are just frustrated in general. So that yeah. some of that paints uh, the big the pic- picture with with Silas. I think some fans are a little bit frustrated that they feel like there there should be a little bit more discipline. Like uh, there was an, an issue where KPJ, uh, you know, kind of was upset, took himself off the court, and then just kind of you know ignored the coaches and then went right back out on the court. Certain things like that where people feel like is it you know too player friendly for a very young team. But I, I don't necessarily think that's a huge issue. The other one was just that early on they were playing a lot of vets and we weren't seeing young players. So there was frustration centered around that. I think I think he's got another year um, for sure. Yeah. And I'm hoping that we'll see more from him because the Rockets whole goal is to be good playoff 
contending good, you know, just not necessarily championship contending, but playoff contending good in a year. So like they, they want to reshape their roster in the summer of 23. And I'm hoping that Steven Silas is still part of that. Cause it's kind of a raw deal when, you know, you're just here for the years where they're flat out terrible, you know? So I, but I've been impressed with him I, as far as a, a leader, a locker room guy, the players love him. Um, and so, you know, it's just a matter of philosophy that you like, do you like more of the disciplinarian type or the more, you know, very player friendly type of coach. And I think that's where you see some of the complaints. And in, and in my opinion, I would agree with you, David, in a lot of ways. And in my opinion, I think that's, that's what you need with a young team. You just need to be able to come in and build a culture, build a culture to where these young guys don't completely stay discouraged about the losing that's going to happen because they're inexperienced because they haven't been playing together for so long. Like it's, it's easy. And I've talked about this on multiple fronts now with some people from no ceilings. And the, by the time this podcast comes out, my listeners would have already heard Steven and I have a little bit of a conversation about NBA defense, but it's true. Like when a, a lot of it's built on chemistry and experience. And when those two things aren't there with a roster, like what the Rockets have now, the, the losses are going to pile up and it's very easy to get down to yourself. But if you build a culture where despite all of that happening, these guys still want to come and show up to work and be, and are happy that they're there every single day. I think that just, that, that speaks volumes and not, not every coach who coaches in the NBA could have that level of success from a positivity standpoint in the locker yeah. room, like Silas has had in my For opinion. Sure. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That, that's a lot to deal with, especially the guy who who waited years upon years for this opportunity, you know, and, and any coach um, is looking for that perfect opportunity because you, know, you can go into a bad opportunity and, you know, your career could be done. You may not get a second <laughs> chance. And so yep. it, for, for it to go from what it did, from what it was, excuse me, to what it is now, I mean, that was a, a raw deal for him. So I, I'm really pulling for Silas. I think he's got potential um, as a coach. I, I do think this is the year for him, though, this coming year. I'm not talking about big wins. I think they just need to see a continued player development and then he can, he can go into 23, 24 as still the coach. But I think, um, you know, it, it, a lot of it's just going to depend on how uh, that player development progresses in, in the next season. So the kind of last, last question that I have for you, Dave, on, on the young guys before we yeah. transition into some of the draft talk. I, I mentioned two names before the pod that we might hit on um, as far as the rookies, Josh Christopher and Usman Garuba. I, I will give you the floor. Which of the two are you more excited about in terms of long-term success potentially with the Rockets? Who do you think fits that long-term plan better right now, Christopher or Garuba? I like both, but it's Christopher that I would pick between the two. I, he, um, you know, and it's funny, I was in love with the Garuba pick. And when Christopher, they picked him next, I was like, ah, you know, I, okay, whatever. I thought he, <laughs> I thought he was early second round. And I, I think I was hoping at the time for Jaden Springer, but you know, it's, it's interesting. It's been a really good pick. Now I will say defensively, Josh Christopher has a lot of potential and point of attack one-on-one uh, -on -one defense. He's been fine. Defensive schemes. He's lost. He's got a lot to learn being, you know, rotations, knowing where to be. And they know that's something that, you know, he's struggling with and he's going to have to get better, but I, his mentality, the way he plays, um, He's got a grittiness, a toughness about him. Um, he's got, he, he's kind of NBA body already coming into, in, into the league this season. 
I just was, we were all, I think overall super impressed with him. He didn't get a lot of playing time early on. As a matter of fact, I think he went to the Vipers briefly, uh, the yeah. Rio, uh, the G league and um, kind of, I think an injury gave him an opportunity and he just, you know, just seized it and he never went back down. He stayed, you know, part of the rotation for a good portion of basically the majority of the rest of the season. Um, and yeah, I think fans are very high on him. Matter of fact, that was part of the frustration is like, hey, we want to see Christopher. Maybe it's time to move Eric Gordon, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I think we're very excited about him. Overall, Rockets fans feel like Rafael Stone, the GM of the Rockets, did a great job in the draft last year. Gruba faced a bunch of injuries. And so he hasn't gotten to play very much. I think his defense, I mean, he's, he's his de- that's his whole game, right? His, his defensive prospects are really high. Yep. I think he's got, a, um, you know, on the perimeter, he's a little bit late to, you know, a guy who's penetrating to the basket to catch up, but he's got really good catch up speed, um, good instincts. I'm excited about him, but I, we just, every time he would come back from injury, something else would happen. COVID something. He just couldn't get anything consistently going. And so we're just hoping to see more from him. But I, as far as future piece, I'm more excited about Christopher at the moment. Listen, man, you're you are preaching to the choir about Josh <laughs> Christopher because I I had him as a borderline lottery talent. I know for a fact wow. that some people, part of the No So Collective, had him as a potential like top ten guy. So there, wow, there, there are some big Josh Christopher J Gut fans. Uh, at the No Sales Collective, I can promise you that. So I, I agree with you that that that's what I mean. That's why I loved what they did the draft so much. Just the value that they were able to get these guys at, like Shen Goon at 16, Christopher and Garuba in the late first round. Guys who, if you talk to scouts, like not everybody had them as, as like potentially early second round picks. Like there were a lot of people who valued all three of those guys as top 20 borderline lotto or or firmly in the lottery conversation talent. So the fact that that's the haul that you guys got from last year's draft heading into this draft, where you also, again, will have two first round picks. There are very few teams in the NBA positioned with the type of future success in, in terms of young talent, young established talent, not just the number of picks that you guys might have until like Oklahoma city, for example, but the number of guys who you have drafted and you brought in and you've already started to see the, the fruits and the, and the rewards behind it. Like the, the, the rockets are just so well positioned in my opinion for the future. And like that, Dave, I mean, you could talk about it better than I could. Like I would hope that the fan base is incredibly excited based on what you guys did last year in the draft and then what you could possibly do this year if we move into that conversation. Yeah. I appreciate hearing that actually. Cause I, I think we're very excited. I do. I look at that 2021 draft and I'm like, wow, I can't believe how many hits <laughs> there have already been in this draft. I mean, even the top four, I, uh, you know, I, I, nobody's, unhappy you know in the top four they all feel like they got the guy yeah, that they do, want. Do, yeah. do you think that everybody went to the right place in in that top four because that was kind of like my feeling i thought that Cade green mobley and scotty barnes ultimately went to the right places that that fit them the best it, it feels like it it really does and i mean i'm even high on Suggs, even though he, you know he didn't have amazing rookie so season but yeah so and it's just like, you know, and then you go on down the list and it's just like, it, it seems like in a, a uniquely high amount of hits in the first round last year. Um, so I, I think we've been spoiled that, you know, in Houston, like thinking every first round pick's going to, going to nail it because really the Rockets had like 
two first round picks for like eight or nine years. I mean, they were just trading them away, you know, every time to either move salary or, you know, bolster, uh, you know, get somebody like Lou Williams or something uh, to play alongside James Harden. And so we've been out of the draft game for, for far too long. And so now to get these young guys and all of them were 19 at the time, um, that just, it's exciting to think about you know, what they could become. So let's dig into that a little bit more because this is draft deeper. This is an NBA draft centric prospect. We're here in a podcast, excuse me. We're here to talk about the prospects. That's what we want to do. So I've talked a lot already, Dave, I want to give you more of the floor here because I want to hear from somebody who is so entrenched with the Houston Rockets and has watched them, like I said, a lot more than I got to this year. I can read off numbers. I can tell you what I think they need, but I'm not, the same expert as you are, Dave, you can speak much better to what you think the Rockets need than I do. So before we get into some specific names, what what are like one or two things you, you think the Rockets absolutely need more of and, and need to nail with, with these two first round picks? <laughs> you know, at, at different levels, they could use anything, honestly, outside of, <laughs> outside of a two guard. And I mean, I don't think the point guard is necessarily their highest, but like they definitely could use a four and a defensive big sharpshooting wing again that's uh, tough to accomplish that would be ideal as well so i would think the highest priorities are three and four um and i think that's you know at the top of the draft it's very enticing uh what they're looking at so that's uh the, the biggest need but i mean they could go in a variety of directions they could use a, a you know hedge their bet with shangun and get a defensive center they could yep. look for a point guard uh, you know a dyson daniels type who fits really well with it with a jalen green and so that's uh you know there's a variety of directions they can go in because they have so little guaranteed locked in pieces but that uh, you know biggest need it's the three in the four spot we're gonna have the, the point guard conversation, I promise you, in, in a second. And I'm going to bring Kevin Porter Jr. into some of that as well. But we're going to start at the top because if everything breaks right, and, and Dave, honestly, I really am rooting for you guys to get the number one pick. I think that this Houston Rockets team has a major Thanks. chance to move forward with getting the number one pick in this draft. And, and I'm just – listen, man, I want fun basketball. I want to be able to watch fun young teams. That's what I'm all about. So why not let the Houston Rockets get the number one pick? And if they do, there are some very enticing names on the board who fit exactly what you're looking for. But unfortunately, we also have to recognize that there is a chance you guys do not get the number one pick. So really, we want to examine your top four or even extend that list all the way out to five guys in terms of who you see for your Rockets big board near the top. So Dave, I want you to go through your top five guys in, in terms of your Houston Rockets board and kind of give your thoughts and reasoning behind why you would have those guys ranked where you do. I want to give you the floor, my friend. Floor is yours. I appreciate it. So yeah, I can give you my five. I think the where I think the Rockets are is slightly different. And I can mention both. Yes. Uh, for me, number Number one is Jabari Smith at okay. Auburn. And for most fans right now, I did a, ran a poll this morning and it was up to almost 3000 votes and it's almost 50% Jabari right now. Now it has fluctuated. It, it came, it was really neck and neck between Jabari and Paolo um, right after the tournament. Um, but it's been mostly Jabari uh, at this point. Jabari to me is the type of player that the Rockets need that no matter what type of team that they build, he's going to be a universal fit for that team. Um, you know, there are weaknesses, namely in his ability to, to create shots, but I think that's, um, 
you know, his shooting ability and defensive ability would fit like a glove in, in whatever they th- choose to do. I think as far as the Rockets, the number one would be Chet Holmgren. I okay. think the ceiling, I feel like the Rockets organization would shoot for the moon on that. I think without a doubt, um, I'm pretty confident in saying this, that they feel the floor on Jabari is much higher, that there's a, a bigger risk factor with Chet. But I think that they view, view the ceiling with Chet higher. Now, whether I can gauge who they have higher, it's hard to tell. But I, because I, I can't, I know that that's what they have, but I don't know how much higher they think this, the ceiling on Chet is over Jabari. But I think Chet's their number one. Um, so for me, it's Jabari one, Chet two. Uh, number three, actually, and this is definitely going against the, the Rockets fans' uh, opinion, is Jaden Ivey. Four. Wow! Yeah. I I watch I watch you, we, man. We hold hold up, hold the press. We gotta stop right there. We gotta talk about that one. So sure. Jaden Ivy at three, bringing in another backcourt player when you do have the options available to you already, not just in Jalen Green, but Kevin Porter, who we'll obviously talk about. We just talked about Josh Christopher. Right. Uh, there's some other options there. Why why Jaden Ivy at number three? Well, let me let me say that I don't think the Rockets would have him three. But as far as me, I feel like. You you think you look BPA best player available regardless, and yep. you know if if we're really going to be true to that, then you have to look at the team and say, yeah, we don't need a guard, but is it BPA truly? And I think Ivy's what I look at when I look at Ivy, I think there's truly an elite skill about him, and that's his burst, his speed, his yep. ability to get to the basket. That's going to translate to potentially high level success in the league. Like he may not develop beyond that, but he's still got kind of this Westbrookian speed about him that I think, you know, is going to be very effective in getting to the basket and, and, and making things happen. Now he is also very similar to what they have. And he's, you know, there's not a evidence just yet that he can be a point guard. He's more combo guard. And so are you going to go with another secondary playmaker in, in that regard? They don't have that true, you know, Cade Cunningham primary guy, at least it's not certain yet. Um, and so, that's a question with him, but I think his superstar upside is, is at that point that I would take him third. So two, two points I want to ask you about with, I, I want I'm curious if these factor into why you would have Jay Nivey third. Uh, you, you mentioned the BPA argument, which I actually agree in making that argument more often than not. I've had a date some, with some other people in no ceiling by my co-host, Stephen Gillespie included, um, <laughs> but two points I want to make. So number, number one would be, are you are you having a number three and thinking that maybe it's good for Jay Nivey to have really two things? Number one, a backcourt mate in Jalen Green, who we've already seen, especially later in the season with the Rockets, they want to put the ball in his hands. They had him trying to create a lot more out of pick and roll. Maybe it's like a split rep situation between those two guys, but also having Shengun be that playmaker, that facilitator out of the high post, somebody who can redirect and move the ball all different ways, similar to um, Travion at Purdue this year, when Purdue ran such a post-centric offense that Jaden Ivey had to be more of an off guard and play off of those bigs, Travion Williams being a passing big, similar to what Shane Goon's going to do. Do do those two things factor into you having Ivey ahead of some other options? Yeah, it, it does. I think it's just overall for me how I would 
rank it period. Like I just okay. look at it and so I, it and is I say, mainly well, just the BTA. Yeah, it, it really is because, you know, I, I think flat out if the Rockets took Jaden Ivy today, they could have an issue. Like, I mean, Kevin Porter Jr. <laughs> and, I mean, cause Kevin Porter Jr. And Jalen green, maybe they're not the best long-term fit, but those guys get along really well. And Ivy is, is, is going to start. Now you could go, you know, KPJ could play, uh, the three, but you know, he's being groomed as the point guard. They're working on that, that, um, project. So you might be able to go three guards, but I would expect Ivy to come off the bench along with Christopher. It's a, as you mentioned, it's crowded if, if you take Ivy. So it's, it's really a test of, are you really willing to go BPA or are you, you know, going <laughs> to balance need here at some point? Because if it's need, it's going to be Paolo. And in my opinion, the act how the Rockets actually rank them, it's going to be those three bigs. So Paolo is going to be two or three on their board. So, but I, I'm assuming that you would have Paolo the number four in, That's in your correct. personal rankings, or else people would probably start throwing pitchforks at the podcast <laughs> if you came at that point. No, well, they're already throwing pitchforks, but yes, I do have uh, Paolo fourth. Yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, uh, about a you know 25% group of Paolo fans that are not happy with me having him fourth. But um, for me, you know, with Paolo, I, and again, you and I may completely disagree on this, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Sure. What my concern with him is, is he's going to, I know he's going to be good in the league. He's going to, you know, it's very rare to see anybody 6'10", 250 who can move like that. But I, you know, I look at it and I, and I really get these vibes of, is he going to be elite at anything that he does? He's very good at a lot of things and his role requires, I don't want to say ball dominant, but it, you know, to maximize his strengths, the ball needs to be in his hands. He's got to create for others. He's got to, you know, score, he may mainly operates out of the mid range and post. He's, he's, uh, you know, good at three pointers. I think he'll get better. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a 40% three point shooter in the league. I, he's, he's, I believe his free throws are at 72 ish percent. He may, but like, to me, I think he's going to be a good, maybe very good, um, you know, star, if you will, but not like a top 20 guy, top 15 guy in the league. And I think you need that out of that type of role. So here's my reservations with Paolo going to Houston. And for, for all the Houston Rockets fans who end up listening to this podcast, because you want to hear, you don't want to hear me. You just want to hear about your Houston Rockets. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. I'm, <laughs> especially the people who want Paolo. I'm, I'm not trying to come down too hard on Paolo because I've actually put him, I would have him number two on my personal board right now, ahead of Jabari Smith and just behind Chet Holmes. So I've actually moved him up lately. But in terms of the Rockets fit, I have zero problems with what he would bring to the table offensively. I think that him and Jalen Green could also form quite the two-man combination. You could do a lot of different things with them. Um, even, even Paolo Bancaro running some quote-unquote inverted pick and roll between him and Shengun or him and Garuba could also yield some very interesting results offensively. But as you know, Houston Rockets, 29th out of 30 on defense. And the defensive concerns were very real with Paolo at Duke. And it's not because of physical ability, in my opinion. I don't think he's too slow. I think he moves his feet fine. I think he can contest shots, get his mitts on the ball. I don't think there's anything physically that's stopping him from being a good defender. But he gambles a lot. 
He plays this style of defense where he wants to funnel somebody to the basket. He wants to kind of play behind him, similar to what you see like Batista will do for the Philadelphia 76, for example. He wants to swat the ball. He wants to make a play on the ball. He's not always concerned about playing the most efficient style of sit in the stance, keep your man in front of you, just that style of defense, right? And playing a funneling style, it was great that he had Mark Williams there as a rim protector behind him. But there were times where he wouldn't even be aware of what's going on behind him. He'd have the blinders on and he would just assume that somebody would be there to help him challenge a shot at the rim. And the guy would end up walking into a layup. And when you have somebody like Shen Goon, who I I, I, I think he's a better shot blocker than people wanted to give him credit for. I actually love some of the plays he would make on the ball. But like Shen Goon isn't the type of big man who you want to funnel somebody into. You know what I mean? And (laughs) putting putting him into that situation where you have the blinders on on defense in general next to a lot of young guys who, as you kind of talked about, like Josh Christopher, for example, Dave, where a lot of these guys just don't understand rotations and positioning and playing better off the ball defensively quite yet. I... I don't know. That seems to me like a little bit of a disaster waiting to happen. I think if, if you put if you put Powell with the right coach, I think he can be coached up defensively on that end and be a better defender than he's getting credit for. But just the personnel and everyone who's already in place in Houston, I think defensively, you're, you're potentially asking for trouble. So that's that's my two cents. I don't know what, the, what you would have to respond with there, but that, yeah, that's no, my two cents. Those are great points, and it's funny. Like I, I you know, I again invoke sort of that BPA approach, like, okay, if he's the BPA, yeah, you take him regardless of fit. But yes. I, I agree with you that, you know, if you look at him and Shangun together, you, you got space in the floor as, as an issue. Now these guys can, but it's, you know, they're, they're not, neither. The numbers don't say that they're both floor spacers. Yes, exactly. And, you know, you, you just, you want as much opening as possible with the guys like Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., um, so, you know, it's, it's just a tough fit, but again, I, I would still put him four for me because I take him regardless of fit. There is upside there. And as I mentioned, I, I mean, I've looked at every comp available. The one that I could not get past was sort of the Julius Randall of last year, which was a very good player. And I feel like as far as just role, not like, you know, his style or anything, but just the role that he plays or a Blake Griffin of Detroit, you know, is when he was effective there. And that's a good player a very good player in the league it's just is that a you know be, by virtue of how dominant he is in in a role is that going to get you to the promised land and what do you have to have around him to yep. to you know get there so that's that's my concern with him it's not that he doesn't look like a star it's how bright of a star is he and and i again you don't want to miss on a kate or a or a, a, a luca because you think to yourself oh maybe he's not fast enough or athletic enough or something along those lines but I just struggle with that. That's the part of it that I, that I have a hard time coming to grips with. Yeah. And, and I don't want to speak for people necessarily, but I think if I were to speak for the Houston fans who would want Paolo as a part of the team, I think their line of thinking is likely we already have Jalen green. This guy can be a number one on offense. He is potentially one of these guys who you go to him late in playoff situations, go get me a bucket. He can be one of those guys if Paolo shakes out to be everything that we think he's going to be offensively. Now we're talking about, you have two of those guys and these NBA teams who make deep runs in the playoffs, you have to have at least two of those guys in those situations. So I think that's, that's probably 
what they're thinking. And that, that isn't a bad line of thinking because sometimes it is harder to find those guys versus, you know, trying to build around the margins defensively in certain areas that better complement the, the transcendent offensive pieces. That's probably what they're thinking. If I had to guess. No. And you know what, you actually laid it out. Well, I agree. That's a strong case to take Paolo if you, if you are that high on him. And I, I gotta say, if, if they do take Paolo, I'm not gonna, you know, pout or be upset. I think I would look at it like, okay, now you've got, you know, Paolo, you've got Jalen, but I do look at the rest of the guys as, okay, now you, we, we need unique players. The other three in that starting lineup that are, you know, flanking these guys with strong defensive players, you know, you're adding a, a rim protector at center. So I, you know, certainly Shangun, I'm looking at a little bit differently, maybe as a six man, big man off the bench and possibly KPJ as well. But I think if you're going to build it around a Paolo Jalen Green team. Now you need. Now you've got three positions that you really need to fill with with specialists or guys who can provide skills to balance out their weaknesses. Would you? So let's let's just touch on Chet really quick before we get to player number five who would be on sure. the board. If, if the Rockets took Chet, I I really like that combination between him and Shandun, and I think that's why a lot of people would project Chet to be on the Houston Rockets is that he's. He's a guy who Shangun covers up his weaknesses and that Shangun could take the bigger body fives who Chet just isn't built to guard right now. You can have Chet play more of the four. He can be that stretch big. And then in turn, defensively, when somebody does get by Shangun, you can have Chet come over and help from the weak side and help protect the rim in that regard. So they just seem like this high-low combination. Offensively, Chet can space the floor. Then defensively, I think they just both cover each other's weaknesses. That, that seems to be an awesome pairing for me, but do you have Jabari higher because you just, you just buy much more into Jabari being a short thing on offense compared to what Chet could possibly be to help Shangun defensively. But you nailed that as well. I think Chet, you, you can make the argument as far as fit and, and explosive upside, Chet should be the number one. And that's kind of why I think the Rockets, I mean, he fits extremely well. Um, you know, Shangun is similar to Drew Timmy in, in some ways. And so you can see how, uh, you know, a guy like Chet could play off of Shangun, who's who's got such a great feel and vision and and Chet's a very smart player. Uh, you know, I, I have Jabari number one because I feel like his defense has, could potentially be elite. I feel like his three point shooting relative to his size is going to be elite. And I think there's an it factor, a work ethic, a drive, sort of like the, when I watch him, he looks like a, a like a, just a dog, a leader out there. And yeah, I think that's yeah. something that, that I, I really like about him. I think he's going to have a little bit of that it factor. Um, and but you know what? If the Rockets took Chet number one, you won't hear a complaint from me because it's very much one A, one B. I like Chet a lot. Um, I just the only thing I worry about with him and I know everyone says frame. But um, for me, it's not that I'm worried about he's going to get bullied or anything in the league because I don't believe that. He's, he's got a, a mentality and a, and a drive and a competitiveness about him that I, I love. It's just the frame concern about just injuries in general. It's just very thin. It, will his body hold up? Not so much whether he can, he can play in the league. Just because I've yeah. seen, you know, in my years, lots of different players uh, face injuries with, with frames like that. But uh, so that's the only risk with him. I think the upside is enormous. I keep saying one more question, one more question. Oh, I you're fine. This I is, love this it. I love this. One, this this is, is my one more question. So this sure. is this is more of a philosophical thing um, okay. with, with Jabari. So 
I have Jabari, as I said. I would have him number three on my board right now. We'll see if that changes by the time I start smelling my board out over the course of the next few weeks on the Draft Deeper podcast. But right now I would have him number three. However, I'm doing, I'm trying to focus in more on studying these lottery teams and trying to figure out who may fit better with each team. And it brings me back to this point that there really isn't a bad fit for Jabari Smith. Like he can literally fit anywhere and maybe he doesn't have the number one offensive upside uh, of of a Paolo Bencaro. And I think in, in some ways, I think Chet might even have a higher offensive ceiling than Jabari in terms of if, if, the body improves enough to the point where he isn't pushed off his spots when he drives to the basket in the half court. He can use more of that handle, and he is a more fluid operator with the basketball in his hands. I think there's more upside that you can tap into with Chet, but Jabari is just such a sure thing as a shot maker and as a potential multi-positional defender, help defender, weak side defender, like should should I have Jabari Smith higher on my board just based on that fact alone that there probably isn't a team in this draft in this draft who would look at Jabari and say, no, we don't want him or no, he can't fit what we're doing here. Should I have him hired just based on that reason? <laughs> well, I would love to uh, to contribute to to bumping him up on your board. I, I will say <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to influence your opinion too much. If you feel like Paolo has superstar upside, then yeah, I could see keeping him up there, um, keeping him above Jabari. If, if you really if you feel that way, for me, I agree. I think Jabari is going to fit with any team, and yeah. no matter what team you build, he's going to fit. Um, you know, and I, I see some superstar upside in him, but I will say, I mean, it is a huge concern that his handle and his dribbling ability isn't, isn't great. Um, it's not. That man, that man was like hunched over like halfway, like trying to dribble the ball up the court when he had to break up the floor and transition. (laughs) It it scares you a little bit. It it really, it does. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically looking for him to develop a handle well enough to, to, you know, execute step backs and, and, you know, two dribbles, step up, you know, step to the side, you know, get his shot off in those ways. I'm not expecting him to cross guys up and go to the basket and throw down dunks. Um, I just don't think that's something he's going to develop over time, but I do feel like there is some superstar upside in him and maybe I'm being just too optimistic, but I feel like this is a guy who could be a very big, tough shot maker. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to basically exaggerate here, but I feel like his defense could get to a level where you just don't want to go up against Jabari Smith if you're a three or a four. Um, and, you know, so so in that sense, some people look at that as a role player, but I look at that as a star, a guy who's, a, who's you know, elite at both three and D, in my opinion, is, um, you know, you don't have to have necessarily those type of handles to cross over and blow past guys to be a star in the league if you're that good at both on both sides of the ball. No, I love it, man. And for, for all the reasons that we've talked about with these three bigs, it's why that some people do have one of the guards making a leap into the conversation with the top three. I do think it's, it's close, but just the NBA always wants players who are sitting firmly at the intersection of size, skill, and IQ. And for those reasons that we've laid out, that's why I can't put anybody ahead of those bigs. Like that's why they are firmly at the top of my board. I would say that Jay Nivey makes the conversation very interesting as a fourth guy to throw in this mix, but I asked you for a top five, Dave. 
there, there's got to be a name that, that kind of makes them a little interesting as well. And you could go, I, I, I listen, you could say almost any name that I have inside like my lottery and, and it wouldn't shock me as that number five name, but there seems to be uh, yeah. one guy who I expect to hear who has just <laughs> butted his way into the conversation. The yes. Who's your number five? And, and it will be that guy. And it feels like cheating, right? It's Shaden Sharp at number yeah. five, simply because the Rockets are, are, you know, the you mentioned Oklahoma City earlier. I mean, Rockets and OKC are almost, they've been rivals for a couple of years because they're in the exact same situation. I think the Rocket board has to be five biggest upsides. And, you know, even though we don't know him that well, it's just that unknown factor, whether it's the, the Rockets taking him for themselves or trading down for a Keegan Murray or, a you know, an A.J. Griffin or Benedict Matherin. Um, but but leveraging that fifth pick because you know of almost I think forty eight percent almost half of the scenarios have the Rockets at five so you know you have to prepare for that situation so if Shaden Sharp is the fifth high ceiling guy and I do know the Rockets view the draft as five high higher ceiling guys if he's number five then you know and you don't want him necessarily then I, I hope that they're leveraging that that position to move to seven or eight and, and get somebody that's good for them and a future asset. I think in that situation, I, I, I understand leveraging that situation, trading back a few spots, maybe picking up another pick in the process. But if Shane Sharp is that good, regardless of how he fits with Jalen Green, in my opinion, collecting that asset where you can grab him at number five, for example, yeah, that, that would be absolutely what I would do because you're taking, you're taking the known quantity versus banking on you trading back, hoping that the player you get would be a quote unquote better fit versus just taking the BPA and then hoping again, that that other pick that he'd probably pick up in the process turns out to be a player that ultimately helps your organization in the long term. Like to me, I, I see when people talk about those strategies and they're worthwhile conversations to have, the conversations that happen every day in front offices, whether you and I like to admit it or not. <laughs> I, I understand that philosophy, but in the NBA, it's, it's also about having known quantities. And even if Shane Sharp isn't the best fit with Jalen LeGreen or vice versa, I think just grabbing the best player available and coming back to that BPA strategy at the end of the day is always the best thing to do because if a deal happens down the line where you know may, maybe Shane Sharp would be involved in a trade for a potential star player down the line like you want to be able to have that asset that crown jewel asset along with other assets to be able to trade to make a move for somebody who could help you at that star level down the line so that's why I would say and just take the pick but yeah and and I would I actually would agree with you I mean the idea of Shane Sharp if he's actually at the uh, the player that we think he could become it would be great for the Rockets. I mean, it's, a, yep. you know, I would expect him to go to the G league for a while and for a high pick, that's a little bit rare, but just that he didn't have that development year. I think he would go there for a while, but I think he probably as far as fit would fit better in the long term um, with this team better than Jaden Ivy actually. So, um, I, you know, I think he could play some three. I think you could, you know, run him with Jalen green and have two, 
you know, players of that size. Does, does that make it more important to have Shengun as your five man to be that facilitator for the both of them? Since in that scenario, if you're playing both in the backcourt, you wouldn't have a more traditional point guard. Yeah, it does. You know, and it's funny, as you mentioned, point guard. I'm sure will come up, especially when we look at seventeen. We're, we're gonna we're gonna hit that right now. We're going <laughs> yeah. Seventeen too. So we'll yeah, no, for sure. But yeah, it, you're right. It would. I mean, especially if you've got guys who can catch and shoot, space the floor. A guy like Shengun could really and cut guy. You know. The, more movement with Shengun would be fantastic. So, I, I mean, I'm very intrigued by Shaden Sharp. He's in my – he's fifth. I actually believe that when it comes down to draft time, if his workouts check out, he's going to go top four. I think he's going to bump somebody down, believe it or not. But um, I, I just feel like if he checks out because of his size and skills, um, that somebody will just, you know, <laughs> be too drawn by the upside. I was I was on the Topic Thunder podcast uh, uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and the conversation came up where if the if the Thunder are sitting at four, I think Shane Sharp would be their guy at number four. I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. I I'm kind of along the lines of I think Shane Sharp's going to go top four, and I think the guy who might fall out of that conversation would be Jay Nivey. But I also brought up to Steven on the podcast I recorded with him yesterday, that if, if the draft order would fall kind of as it is right now, you'd probably be looking at Indiana sitting around that fifth pick. I think Jay Nivey would be a great fit with that organization and with that collection of talent to the point where like, if the draft kind of falls where it's supposed to, I think we could have a similar situation this year as we did last year, where everybody kind of sort of just falls in place to where they're probably better to be at long-term. So I think that that's also an interesting thing that, that we can talk about. That's in theory, that's, a, that's another podcast for, for another day. We want, <laughs> we want to talk about the Rockets. So let's, before we part our ways, let's have a conversation about 17 Dave. So sure. there would be a lot of fun targets in that mid first round range. I will give you a little bit of a spoiler mm. for you, you as well as the audience. Okay. I will tell you who's 17th on my board. Interesting. Okay. Tari Eason is 17. Is he really that far? I mean, that, I love hearing that. That's, I mean, if the Rockets get Tari Eason at 17, I mean, I'm celebrating. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. He, that's, that's the kind of player that I have in that range who you guys might be able to swing at 17. Another three, four, that, that forward slash bigger wing that you would want to look at that would fit better for this team. However, there are some of those guys available and you could target potentially another big man, maybe a more defensive minded center. If Mark Williams would fall a little bit, for example, to that mm -hmm. 17 range, or you could target one of the point guards. And that brings us back to the Kevin Porter jr. And the point guard conversation. I personally, regardless of how you feel about Kevin Porter jr. I would not take one of these point guards as high as 17 and I've had a really? conversation with multiple people my reasoning behind it Dave and maybe maybe you'll agree with me maybe you'll disagree with me I want to get your take on KPJ as well as that pick in general but my argument behind that I think the threshold for playing the point guard position is so high nowadays not just factoring in those similar size guard players six three and under but also factoring in just how many bigger guys are handling the ball and making decisions at the top of the court nowadays for NBA teams I just think the threshold's so high 
I don't see Ty Ty Washington, Kennedy Chandler, uh, John Montero. I don't see any of those guys meeting that threshold to play point guard long-term as a starter in the NBA. Now, maybe somebody like a Ty Ty Washington falls in a situation where he's playing next to one of these bigger initiators and he's kind of out there to help manage the game and, but also play off of somebody else and be more of a jump shooter versus a, a creator off the dribble, having to put pressure on the rim, which is an area where he struggled at in college and probably isn't going to change for him in the NBA. But I just, yeah, I, I would not take a point guard that high. I think when you get in the twenties, that's a conversation to start having because then you can look at it as well in the twenties, we probably need to go for more of a short bet and fortify our bench than necessarily just exclusively focus on swinging for the fences that's probably where I bring that conversation into play. But I would assume that you would want to swing for one of these three fours and that you would, I don't know. Do you, do you still have point guard so in the conversation? No, I'm with you on this, except for one thing. And I think maybe, maybe we just have a different opinion of what his role is, but and sure. he's not going to be available at 17, but Dyson Daniels is a guy that I love for the Rockets, but I know he's, you know, eight to 12 at, at, at best. I mean, in other words, I don't think he'll fall past that point. I got people who love him as high as six, man. That's, so I, I, I think he's going to be off the board. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it would take a trade up for sure to get him. I, I, I Do you view him as a point guard? I mean, it's been no debate, right? Is he a wing? Is he a, a point guard? I, I, that's the question I have with him. But as a, as a guy who doesn't have to be a Chris Paul level point guard. Yeah. I, I love his fit next to Jalen Green. He's a, he's a connector piece who could fit a connector piece who could fit off of everybody else that you guys already have in place and can guard so many different positions would cover so much ground for you guys. Yeah, that would be we want to talk about potentially all-time trade-ups in the draft. If you guys found a way to swing some assets to, to get somebody like a Dyson Daniels trading back into the lottery, that I agree with you. He he should be a guy who if you're if the Rockets are looking at scenarios like that he should be one of those number one targets because he could really fill so many gaps for, for your team. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you mentioned that because it is wings that I like, and I have to admit, I've started to like Ty Ty. I have him currently 16 on my board, okay. um, but I have him marked as preferable that he goes ahead of the Rockets to bump someone else down. <laughs> but, uh, but still I, I like think to myself, well, he had that ankle injury. wasn't as effective. Could he be much better? when healthy and you know again that may not be an accurate assessment but the three guys are daniels and i know these guys are expected to go high lottery sure. or mid uh suhan who i love and i know he won't be at 17 either and then tar easton and at, beyond those three and i i, I kind of look at all three of those guys as expected to go ahead of 17 it was usman diang taking a swing for the fences but it's daniel suhan and easton that, in my opinion that could make a, a significant impact on the Rockets and, and, you know, add in a piece, not necessarily a superstar piece, but just a guy that, you know, is part of your future. I have those guys ranked as such, not, okay. not, di- not directly, like literally next to each other, but I have them ranked as such on my board. I would, have where are they? I would where? have, Oh man, you're really asking me for the, no, I'm, I'm, fine <laughs> with I'm, I'm fine okay. with spoilers. So I have, okay. I would have, I would have Daniels at number 10 right now. I okay. got I, I got Suhan at eleven. Same here. And then I have, and then I have Easton at, at seventeen. I have okay. him a little bit lower. And okay. So I have Dice. I have Daniels ten, Suhan eleven, but Easton twelve. So and interesting. Easton could be a good fit for you guys. My my whole thing with Easton is that I think I think the mid first round range is where I've kind of had him on my board for a while, and I think that's a better value to get him at versus taking a potentially in like 
the top 10, for example. I see a lot of people ranking him in the top 10, and I have reservations about that because offensively, the jump shooting is not pristine. It's not perfect. It's not great. Um, he can be a cutter and a finisher at the basket when he has an open lane. He also struggled a lot of times when I've watched the film this year at finishing through contact and finishing oversize. So in half court situations, if he's not knocking down jump shots and he always has somebody getting into his way, getting at the basket, and he's not able to finish on a consistent basis in those situations. And when, when the game becomes more of a half court game, what, what is he then on offense? And I, I, the, the defense, it can be spectacular. He is a big gambler and a big risk taker. So that can work out great if you are a team that wants to run a lot in transition like the young Rockets are, but that can also come back to bite you in, yeah. in, in big game situations. So his athleticism, his body, there, there's a lot of upside there. I just, I personally struggle with giving him like, like a top 10 grade or like a lottery grade in this class. That's just where I'm at. Yeah, no, that's actually interesting to hear because I've had I've been in a few spaces with, with some guys and we've been trying to just debate how good his defense could be. You know, I mean, we're, everyone's looking at a guy like Herb Jones in the league and like, man, we need something like that. Right. But yes. Um, and and Tari Eason, you know, he's got the size. He's he's big. He's 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 got some handles. He can he can. You know, as he's not like a brilliant offensive player, but he's aggressive. His free throw rates through the roof. It's um, how good. That's the question I have with him. How good can his defense be? Because that's what the Rockets need. A guy with size, a guy you can throw out there against, uh, you know, a, a top score on the other on the other team and, you know, give him problems. And so that's that's the question I have with Eason. Can I throw two more names at you before we part? Yeah, ways? How, how do you think these guys would fare? One would be. Marjan Beauchamp would be an interesting name for you guys. I, I like him probably, even though I, I have him at 23, I, I think I'd like him a little more than consensus does. And then the other one, very interesting wild card, who would very similar to Dyson Daniels would plug a lot of holes for you guys would be Dalen Terry out of Arizona. Interesting. I actually was just kind of looking into him and I'll be honest, I, uh, Beauchamp I've, I've looked at quite a bit, but, but Terry, not as much, but I was watching some clips of him recently and I thought, wow, this guy's pretty good. Um, Maybe I need to look into him a little bit more. Bochamp, it's like, I feel like when I look at him, I'm thinking, okay, you're you're getting a defensive wing. The upside for more isn't there. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I would love to hear your insight on him because you, you've you probably studied him a lot more than I have. But I, I kind of have, I, I have him 22 on my board. Um, so I kind of pushed him aside thinking he, you know, he wouldn't be my top pick at 17. But I may be, I, I may be off on this one. I think the defensive upside is a little higher than people want to give him credit for. Um, I, th I think he makes good decisions as far as when to read, hit on double teams, hit on traps, and then he adds quick hands when he gets to somebody and can force those turnovers similar to what Atari Eason can. Um, I love what Beauchamp does. And I consider Atari Eason more of a forward than a wing. I think Atari Eason is the best transition forward offensively in this class. I think Beauchamp is the best transition wing in this class offensively, I love the work that he's put in as far as hitting corner threes, those one-two dribble pull-ups, especially on the break. I like a lot of what Beauchamp brings to the table. I personally see fewer holes in his game than I think a lot of people do. I would just agree in that he's one of these like mid to late first guys because he doesn't have the same upside as some of the names I would go ahead of him. Um, 
I would really, I would, I would look into Terry though. And, and I'd be very curious to see some of your thoughts on social media after you do the Dale and Terry deep dive. Yeah. Because I, I think, I think for a lot of the reasons you would love Dyson Daniels for the Rockets, I think you'd probably find a lot of similarities in Dale and Terry, who is that similar six, seven size with length as one of these connector pieces who the jump shot is starting to come around and he would guard multiple positions, essentially everywhere you want to on the perimeter, similar to, to, to Daniels. I think that's why Terry, I have him at 26 right now. I think he's going to keep rising in the process. I, I think somebody's going to take a swing on him in the top 20 and it could, it could be you guys if the yeah. Rockets bring him in and they like him. He certainly fits the, based on your description, what, what could be a great fit for the Rockets. So yeah, I appreciate that tip because like I said, I, I was familiar with him, but not, not that familiar. And I, I couldn't have told you like his real strengths and weaknesses or size. And so I, I definitely take a closer look at him, um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll do another uh, dive on Bochamp as well, because I, I, you know, he's a little bit older. So is Easton, of course, but yeah. I, I looked at Bochamp and I just kind of, I didn't see the upside as much. And so I, I kind of, put him a little bit lower on my board. So I, I might need to revisit that as well. Either, either way, some very, very interesting targets for the Rockets with that 17th pick. Any any final thoughts on on Kevin Porter Jr.? Any, well, any final thoughts on <laughs> Well, it's funny. The only thing I wanted to say was I know our, our uh, friend on, on Twitter, Madison, had had uh, wanted us to shout out Jalen Williams of Santa oh, Clara. Oh, the Jalen Williams. Oh, man. I'll, <laughs> listen, listen. He is He's also another guy, Dave. I'll be very honest with you. He has risen up. He's risen up everybody's board yeah. on consensus, but us guys have no ceiling. We, we were on him early. Tyler Rock's yeah. backcourt violation was on him very early and Great article kind of followed suit. And he's a guy, listen, if you guys wanted to make a trade to get back into the first round, like late first round, he's one of those guys who everybody might look around on draft night and go, why necessarily take him in the back end of the first round? Then you get into the building, you start to see him play for you guys and you go, Oh shit, this guy should have actually been taken higher than he was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's, and I, I, you know, you guys have been all over it and he has been talking about him for a long time as well. And I've always said, well, 17 seems a little high. And so I, I agree with you. If you can slip into that late first round, maybe he's a guy you take a look at. Um, but his feel for the game seems really, uh, really unique as far as offensively and he's got the you know physical measurements it's just defensively you know can he use that to his advantage um but yeah a, a, a very good prospect that could uh as you mentioned come into the league and, and if, make more of an impact if you want something to do on a down day where you got some time to kill and you want to just watch something fun jalen williams pick and roll defense in my opinion Best in the class. I have, really? I, I have not seen that guy die on a screen once in all the film that I watched. He is superb defending the ball handler and pick and roll situation. So if that's, in, my, in your opinion, a need that you guys need filled, just somebody who can much better guard somebody one-on-one -on -one in, in, in pick and roll situations than that die on screens, he, he's a guy, in, in, in my opinion, that you would want to look at. He is awesome defensively, very underrated defensively, and passing the ball, making plays for others. Very yeah, yeah, the passing for sure. And it's interesting you say that because I tell you, I, I dug all around and could not find a good consensus on what where his defense was at. So I appreciate you pointing that out because that was my concern with him. But uh, I'll take a closer look because he is uh, a guy who, in watching the highlights, I'm like, yeah, this guy really does have a very good feel for the game. He's awesome, man. Very, very few weaknesses in, in his game, which is probably the biggest reason why he skyrocketed up so many draft points. But Dave, this was an excellent podcast, my friend. This hey, I loved it, Nathan. Yeah, anytime. I love this. Everything I wanted it to be, Houston Rockets fan deserves 
a podcast of this quality. So I can't thank you enough, Mr. Clutch, for coming on just one more time for my audience. Get plug everything that you do oh. everywhere that they can find you because they need they they need to be including you in their Twitter rotation. Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, the Twitter handle is at clutchfans. Um, the website's clutchfans.net. We have uh, forums there with, with just thousands of Rocket fans talking Rockets, even though there's absolutely nothing you know going on right now. Rockets <laughs> games in the playoffs or anything of that nature. It's draft time, man. It's draft time. Baby. <laughs> it is. They're they're gearing up for the lottery. So I appreciate it, man. It's like I said, you guys do amazing work and I'm on it. I know a lot of our, you know, fans are on it as well. And you guys are, are rising up quickly. And like I said, it's going to be sort of that, that household name here soon enough where, uh, you know, if you want NBA draft content, that's where you go. I, I, I appreciate all those kind words, Dave. It means a lot that, that you as well as, um, your audience and, and your followers are checking out our work. It, it means a lot to me every single day. So thank you for all of those kind of words. And most importantly, thank you to everyone out there listening to this episode of the podcast. If you aren't subscribed already to the Draft Deeper podcast, make sure you are. Wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. And make sure you're following No Ceilings on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. And subscribe to the Substack, nocillingsmba.com. It's free 99, baby, as Corey Tulliver likes to say. It's absolutely free. <laughs> you get all the draft content you could possibly want. We've done over 80 individual draft profiles already. We've done plenty of uh, coverage as far as us coming together and doing group think pieces. We have big boards. We're going to be releasing a new big board this week, mock drafts, everything you want. And we will hopefully be doing lottery team specific NBA big board and kind of breaking down some of those as well. So all the Houston Rockets people out there, hopefully you guys will not skewer us to death about <laughs> who we could possibly make a big board um, with for your team, but definitely make sure you're locked into all the coverage in those stills, NBA.com. But until I return for another episode of the draft deeper podcast, thank you all again for listening. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.